Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Oh, that sounded kind of sad. Yeah. Are you okay? I'm okay. In the last week, Quebec City's had like record cases every single day, uh, like a lot of places mm. in Canada, and it's mm-hmm. starting to really weigh on me. Yeah. Yeah, I get that because there was a time when it, it felt like the worst was happening in California and it, it really did, you know, it has an impact on the person. So I'm sorry. That's okay. How are you? I'm okay. I'm really annoyed about this helicopter that has been circling my neighborhood for the last (laughs) 30 minutes. And so uh, to all of our dear listeners, I apologize if you hear this helicopter on the final cut of this episode. It's just not letting up. I apologize. (laughs) I apologize. But besides that, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. That's that's good. Um, I I might have a helicopter filter, so I might be able to back that out of the sound. Well, I hope you can, because I find that kind of stuff really annoying on podcasts. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hope you can. <laughs> well, um, you know, I I, I kind of feel like this generalized state of like, uh, is is probably how a lot of our listeners are feeling right now. I know that we've had people ask if we could specifically talk about John Horgan and Bonnie Henry. I know that people in Ontario think that, like, they just could not have been um, given a worse premier. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate about where the fault lies, and and no one's talking about how northern Manitoba and Regina are, like, the two hotspots in Canada for COVID infections, you know, with Peel, Toronto, and Quebec City. Those are the top five the last time I checked. And I, I feel like we have to give our listeners what they want to hear which is maybe my way of saying what what I want to what I want to hear is it, is it gonna be okay Sandy I think it's gonna be okay I think it's gonna be okay I think we're gonna come through the other side of this but I am also very very nervous about what's happening in Canada this third wave uh, seems monstrous the vaccine readiness is just not there. And so it's going to be a bad period. I think we're going to go through a really bad period. And um, that makes me scared. Mm. But as you once said on this podcast, um, one thing is certain. This will end eventually. And how it will end has a lot to do with how we come together as uh, community members, um, how we resist the way that the the politicians are prioritizing everybody but people, everything but people, I should say, um, in this whole thing, and uh, what we what we do to support one another in the face of of being ignored by the people who are meant to take care of our communities, and so with the knowledge that this will end. Um, there's a lot of power that we all have in, in the in-between space to define how we make it to the end. And, you know, I think we, we did quite a bit of talking on the last episode about um, the different ways that people could come together through um, places where they're already organized, whether that be uh, in unions or associations or what have you. And that's what I really mean by that. And so... Um, 
I hope that that is what you wanted to hear, but it is the best piece of news, which is that we do have some impact on the way that this ends. Yeah, I'm so glad I asked because I knew you would know how to answer that question. (laughs) Um, Speaking of gratitude, do we have some gratitude to to give out to to anyone this week? It's our well, the gratitude we have to give out, I think, is is bottomless. Uh, We could just be giving gratitude (laughs) all the time. Um, and, and, you know, thank you to everybody, um, especially the folks that inter- interact with us on, on Instagram and in the discord where we're not really present. Um, thank you so, so much for sharing the podcast and for debating, uh, amongst one another, like some of the stuff that we say or other issues that you're thinking about, because, um, you know, we can't do it all. I mean, both of us are really stretched right now. And so to see communities forming around these episodes are really, really exciting and really uh, heartwarming. So thank you so much for that. And this week in particular, uh, for folks who've changed their donations, donated for the first time, even the folks who've reduced their donations, uh, we really want to say thank you so much to Justin, Becky, Kay, Edward, Mackenzie, Jacob, Taya, and Molly. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you. And yeah, I've been seeing some of those messages too of people talking about how um, how meaningful this podcast is to them, uh, especially over the pandemic uh, in a period of, for some of you, some intense loneliness. And I just want to say that I'm uh, so glad that we could be that for you. And I'm so glad that we could be here for you because as we talk about this third wave, it's... Um, you know, I know it's hidden hard. Mm. I know it's hidden hard. Uh, Nora, before we get into that topic, yeah, I know that there's something else going on a little bit right now <laughs> <laughs> that I imagine you have been paying attention to. I have not because I've had a very busy week. But in the tradition of the Sandy and Nora podcast, the last time there was an NDP convention I also didn't pay attention and you told me all about it (laughs) on the podcast. So uh, though I did mean to pay attention this time, it just, you know, my life didn't work out that way this week. So why don't we do what we did last time? Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on with the Dippers at the convention 2021? Hashtag uh, how many votes can we get in? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or how few can we get in? Maybe? I don't know. Hashtag <laughs> Let me not know many. what's going on. <laughs> Hashtag not many. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, so the NDP had their convention online this past weekend. Um, same weekend as the Liberals, which uh, I was a bit interested actually in how that happened. I, I'm sure it was a coincidence, but... I saw that. What a coincidence. <laughs> I, I thought that that was weird. That's It's not a good coincidence because no. I think you want some people to be able to attend both and so that you can have the, the press compare and contrast, right? And so... Uh, I thought that that was a weird choice. I thought so too. Um, but I guess maybe it wasn't a choice. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And and I mean, if anybody listening could enlighten us, that would be really wonderful. You know, I don't put it past the NDP to have announced their convention, the Liberals, to be like, haha, let's take their, their glory. So, you know, this very much could not be um, a decision that the NDP had any um, ability to change. But it, it was a bit disappointing because I, I was toggling between the two conventions and it was like... Um, you know, very different feels. And I, I like with, with schools closed, like my, my life is just, you know, back to being the chaos that it was last year at this time. And so I really couldn't pay attention to both. And so I did what I could to pay attention to the 
NDP won. Okay, so let's talk about the good. Um, there were a lot of delegates there. I didn't see the exact delegate count, but it seemed like there was a thousand, more than a thousand. So that's positive. Wow, that's great. That's great news. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't know if they had more or less than the last time, but, um, you know, NDP conventions are a big deal. And so a lot of people do participate in them, which is great. Um, other positive um, things. Um, um, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to th- I can't really remember Ooh. any. Ooh. Yeah. OK, so maybe I'll just talk about the, the things that I thought were a bit weird or that I think need to be criticized. Um, so wow, you seriously can't think of anything <laughs> positive. Well, I didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing. Right. And so I was only able to, to I, duck in. Didn't they didn't they pass a uh, finally a Palestine resolution? Oh my God! Yes, sorry, that was the positive thing. Thank you, thank okay. you. Okay, thank you. All right, See, you're supposed to be telling me about this. I'm supposed, not supposed to know. <laughs> yes, uh, after many many years of organizing, uh, activists um, in, involved in organizations like uh, Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East and Independent Jewish Voices, and lots and lots of grassroots activists managed to organize such that they were able to get the uh, one of the two motions that they had submitted um, prioritized uh, to be actually actually on the convention floor because the vast majority of motions, of course, don't make it to convention. And um, and it <laughs> it passed. Now, it was in a block of 40 minutes and there was two motions debated in those 40 minutes. Oh, my God. And I didn't. Yeah. And I didn't watch the whole block of 40 minutes because, again, I was dipping in and out and, the, and you know, posted schedules are not necessarily what what ends up going the way that people want it to. So, you know, I couldn't necessarily be like at this time for sure it's going to be on. But this was the real problem with the convention was that the the tech was really a disaster. And every, it was such a disaster. And it was really, I mean, there was a lot of people pleading to, oh, you know, people are trying really hard. They're doing their best, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. People worked really hard, but there were a lot of errors with the tech that like are, are at month 13 of our online lives were really unacceptable. And so some mm. of those problems were like, well, the, the, the debate period uh, was hampered by every single time there was a procedural motion. They had to wait two minutes for that procedural motion to actually go through for, for people to vote. And they, and they didn't do anything in those two minutes. You just literally sat there and watched the, the host or the chair kind of awkwardly <laughs> looking at screen, screen, face over there, face over there, screen, screen, face. So every procedural motion, right? So And that's a lot. There, there can be a lot of procedural motions. Those are amendments. Those are, um, those are other kinds of things that relate to the operation of the vote. And so this is the 40 minutes uh, block. And um, they, the, the first motion that was in the 40 minute block was a motion of solidarity with Indian farmers. And from what I read on Twitter, because I didn't catch this, it sounded like there's quite an orchestrated filibuster of people like amending the support motion and reading scripts that sounded very similar and um, just like spending a lot of time on the support for Indian um, farmers. And the problem with it, of course, like they had two amendments and the amendments were like then bringing it back to Canada and talking about how they support Canadian farmers and fair labor practices for Canadian farmers, uh, which someone did say that that's outside the scope of the motion. The chair disagreed yeah. and he didn't challenge the chair. I don't think, although there were a lot of challenges to the chair, so I could be wrong, but that kind of thing like really annoyed me because, you know, like aside from the fact that when you're talking about like solidarity with another country, you don't necessarily need to bring it back to Canada, but more importantly, like, 
farming and labor rights are things that are on the books already in the NDP. So it just seemed like a very bizarre uh, like thing to spend time on in a motion that's, that's you know, for all intents and purposes, a solidarity motion. And so this gets uh, eaten. This eats into the time so much that they had a grand total of four minutes to debate the Palestine motion. You're kidding me. <laughs> no. Wow, that's no. awful. I mean, you think, yeah. I would think anyway, that even if, you know, they have this weird idea that this is somehow controversial on the left, and they should not have that idea, because it is not like, if you are a progressive <laughs> human, there is only one way to, to vote on this motion. Uh, wouldn't they want the debate out there? At least so you can get the arguments in to defend oneself if one needs to? Like, why wouldn't they want the debate? Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, there was a lot of motions that were served that passed with really high thresholds. Like, I mean, there was one motion, I think that literally had 99% of, of delegates voting in favor, which, you know, I have an opinion on that. I feel like if your convention is dealing with things that have 90% support and above, you probably didn't need to deal with that at that convention. Yeah. Like, there's obviously consensus. And this was an mm-hmm. issue where, I mean, delegates voted at 80%. So the consensus was quite high, but that was thanks to a lot of the organizing that activists had done in advance. But but you're right. So what ended up happening was because four minutes, like, that's nothing. That was no time. And so the chair allowed uh, one statement in favor and one statement opposed. And I kind of suspect that, you know, the statement opposed was very, very bizarre, talking about how it's um, this motion is... Uh, it, it tries to see this issue as black and white and this issue is not black and white and the world is not binary. I liked that. It's like, ooh, we live in a non-binary world. Never heard that argument before, but I don't hate it. I don't hate that. Um, but it, it just meant that, of course, yeah, there was no ability to have a proper debate on this. It, it wasn't a debate at all. It was just the two sides being presented um, for the motion. And um, then, and this, this is what, you know, I, I was the most annoyed by, and this was not just on this voting block, it was on all voting blocks. They moved to the voting period. And so how long do you think that they had to vote on these motions? Hmm. Uh, surely less than four minutes. I <laughs> I don't know. Like, how does the vote? I mean, you're not going to guess this. You're, there's no way you're going to guess this number because it just is just like, what the fuck? And, sorry. So the vote is just like what, like pressing a button. Yeah. Two, because there's two motes, po- motions. They voted for the, the motion on uh, support with Indian farmers and uh, support um, for uh, Palestinians by not purchasing stuff from the, the occupied settlements. Um. So, yeah, two motions. Okay. So, so. How long was it? 20 minutes. To vote? Yeah. Every Sorry, one of so these the blocks. debate the debate was 4 minutes but the the vote was 20? Mhm. I you, don't you understand. You might be starting to see why I couldn't think of any of the good things to say about Explain this Explain yourself. You that doesn't make any sense. How does that it's it's online. You press a button. You said two buttons. I could see how maybe two buttons could extend the time from say two seconds to five seconds, but 20 minutes? <laughs> Can you, what? I asked about this online to see if this was explained when a part where I, I, I missed and a lot of people said, oh, you know, it's to make sure that people don't have technical issues. Uh, the cynical side of me uh, says that no, uh, the, this was organized to just eat up as much time so that they didn't have to debate motions that they didn't want to debate. 
And uh, I mean, I, I've never seen a voting period of 20 minutes for something as simple as vote now for the motion, yes, no, abstain. Um, and this was happening, uh, as I said, with every single voting block. And so there's this huge imbalance between the amount of time delegates had to spend doing technical things um, and the amount of times the delegates actually had the chance to, to talk. And, and then also like really slow transitions between every time they, they called on someone to speak. Uh, there was always a very long delay. And I mean, I'm, I'm very used to now watching, you know, things moving a bit quicker. And so for a, a national political party, I would have thought that it would have gone a bit quicker. So there's a lot of time lo lost in that. And a lot of concerns about how like the, the speakers list was made and how did certain speakers get moved up as fast as they did? And, and how did the rooms change if you go from one speaker speakers list on the main motion and then someone moves an amendment and this kind of thing? So it was it was very buggy and like to the point where uh, a lot of people tried to postpone the, the convention in the middle of the convention by serving a motion to postpone. Um, of course, it failed every time. But you could see the frustration that delegates had that this just was not conducive to having debate. Wow. Yeah, I think I did see something about uh, MPs. Uh, generally being able to get to the mics faster somehow or were being chosen off the speakers mm -hmm. list faster somehow, the, the digital version of get to the mic, um, which people thought the way that that was happening so frequently was was not possible um, it, unless uh, particular decisions were being made about uh, foregrounding certain voices. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be one obvious kind of thing to ask, because that happened so often. Um, there was also a lot of situations where uh, it was clear that they were waiting for, for very specific people to make interventions, and then all of a sudden technical issues arose. So um, I will now move to the motion that I was most annoyed by and most, um, on, like, frankly, scandalized by, which was one of the few motions that actually dealt with the environment. Um, of course, motions dealt with a lot of different issues, mm -hmm. so it wasn't too bizarre that there weren't a ton of environmental emotions. But this one, um, hmm. delegates amended the motion uh, from the floor in the in the debate block. And the motion that like was amended to say, well, originally said investing in the next generation of low carbon jobs, as well as reducing the carbon emission of existing industries. OK, great. So someone amended it to add the word unionized before mm -hmm. low carbon jobs. So unionized low carbon jobs and added this as the, the second part of that se the last sentence. Um, as, reduce, as well as reducing carbon emissions of existing industries by opposing all new and proposed fossil fuel projects and carbon-intensive energy infrastructure and projects that violate Indigenous rights and sovereignty. And so this was a motion where it was very clear that the NDP um, leadership did not want it passed. Like, no way could this motion Sorry, pass. Sorry, why? And they um, pulled John out Horgan <laughs> would have to stop all of his projects? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, Rachel Notley's not going to be, I mean, I know these are all provincial, but, you know, Rachel Notley's not going to be down anymore. Like, what? Fuck these. What What the fuck? Yeah. So the first argument was um, made by Andrew McKenzie from the UFCW, who had a lot of time on the mic. He was also one of these people that was able to jump the queue really quickly. Um, I, I mean, has like super fast um, index fingers. And he uh, said that this motion would just um, stop the NDP from getting elected in Western Canada, point blank. That this is just going to destroy the NDP. What? Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. So that was very annoying, to say the least. Um, and then there was other interventions made by people who you might know, uh, specifically 
James Pratt made an argument um, that I don't actually remember what the substance of the argument was, but he did um, insist that uh, NDP members need to understand that other NDP members are not the enemy and we shouldn't be fighting each other which I also thought was a very interesting uh, argument against this extremely obvious and not offensive amendment. And then the final intervention from the con side came from uh, a staff person from the the steelworkers who argued that this motion would eliminate the steel industry in Canada. What? And what was very annoying about this was that the, the motion text was not actually on the screen. And um, because, like, I read it to you, but when you're looking at it, like, there's some subordinate clauses there that when you read it, it's actually very clear that the motion is just calling for no new carbon-intensive energy infrastructure, right? So the aluminum industry is not energy infrastructure. It's a fucking separate industry. But she so confused delegates that people online were, like, very obviously confused. (laughs) And the motion failed. The motion failed. And so it was just like the motion failed. Yeah. So this kind of thing was making like was very obvious that the NDP is not interested in actual debate and the NDP is not interested in actually talking about like climate change and what we we actually need to do. And what I thought was the most destructive was that you had three labor people. So UFCW, CLC and Steele insisting that this is in opposition to unionized jobs and to is opposition to 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 members of the NDP who are hardworking blue collar workers. And um, which is just such like the, the, that rhetoric is so fucking damaging and like wrong, obviously wrong that um, I don't know. Fuck. I'll, I guess I'll end there because I'll just I'll just keep ranting about it. I'm so I'm still so frustrated to see how they how hard they came down on this issue. Yeah, unions really need to to get with the program on this. Like this is a losing strategy for uh, for unions like to 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 uh, attach yourself to the industry of the employer who you oppose. Like just think of that sentence. You are attaching yourself to the thing that makes your employer money like what unions should be doing uh you know and i you know, i just i'm not sure if maybe this is happening or people haven't thought about it or people have looked into it and it's just not feasible i'm not sure but why not start worker co-ops around renewable energy now why not invest in ensuring that your members get retrained in renewable energy why not um take the leap now. These industries will die one way or another. (laughs) And if you folks are not at the forefront of this, you too will die. So why, why not take another approach? Like, come on, justice is always the better approach because it's the sustainable approach. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if you are in it, for creating justice for for your workers, then that is the only sustainable approach. And the other thing with the with the NDP, like, I just need them to stop like (laughs) all of this rigmarole around, you know, everything being about the election, like isn't some things about the very survival of our of our species <laughs> can't can't some things just be about that and ensuring that you as a party are oriented around changing society and not just winning elections because if that is indeed part of the policy and indeed what 
local riding associations are working on and what local NDP activists are working on, then, you know, taking that type of position where your central researchers and the the central resources of the party can support that local work, uh, it, it just feels like a no brainer to me. And I'm not really sure why. I mean, it's like the survival of our species. Like, I'm just really confused about how how one convinces themselves that this is the way forward. Is there like some sort of grand master plan that the rest of us aren't in on? Is there a timeline? Is it five years when you'll be able to start talking about it? Is it 10? Is it 15? Is it like how late in the uh, species destruction game does the NDP then get to say okay cool we're behind this how late Mm -hmm. in the uh, destruction of indigenous nations game does does the NDP get to say all right we'll do the right thing now you know what I mean like (laughs) come on this isn't this isn't hard Mm -mm. no it's especially not hard if you don't torque the facts right like Talking about proposed energy developments, like those are not even your fucking members yet, guys. Yeah. You could propose other energy projects and they could be your members if you're even if you're looking from it from that perspective. Now, it's important to mention that this this failed, but it did not fail with a huge margin. It failed um 40, 54 against and 46 in favor. So wow. you know that's that's positive in one way. One of the ways that it's negative, I mean, this this convention also passed a procedural motion that's allowing unions that are affiliated with the NDP to increase their delegates uh, to be uh, according to some formula, but that would give the largest unions like Steel, like UFCW, 300 delegates. And you can just see like how control of the party, um, not control necessarily like by unions, but control of the status quo, because it's not, of course, that all unions like would have like opposed this. You know, I think that if you sent it to QP National, I would be super shocked if QP National had any problem with the way that this mm-hmm. amendment was was worded. And that was a very confusing issue. I know I heard from a lot of delegates that just didn't understand what they were voting on. And that was during a block that I didn't I didn't watch the debate on. So I don't know how well it was described or explained. But it, it certainly says to me that the NDP is not interested in doing anything new and is not interested in trying to figure out how to navigate in this new world and instead is actually going back <laughs> to the older structures to try and, and reinforce um, the status quo. And I think, you know, the final thing that I want to mention is is that obsession with the status quo was very, very clear uh, throughout the convention um, and, the, and the tension against the status quo from the interventions from delegates. Um, but it was all wrapped up in the big speech that Jugmeet made at the end of the convention. And, and this is the speech that the leader always makes just before their leadership review. And it, I mean, I think he talked about the liberals more than he talked about the NDP. Oh, no, and the wrong orientation. Lot... <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of like, well, we made these programs better. We made SERB better. We made the wage subsidy better. We got you paid sick leave, which is not even fucking true. I mean, there is no paid sick leave. So that was a whole weird failure of a way to describe what's happening while you've got activists in every province fighting for paid sick leave. And also, oh, there was a motion for paid sick leave, which would be redundant if you had already 
won it. But anyway, um, but it was it was just very, very clear that, you know, we we are in a in a crisis. We are in a historic crisis. We are in a moment of potentially well, of, of absolutely massive change. And the forces and we've said this on this podcast many, many times, the forces that are competing uh, among one another for control over that massive change uh, are very powerful forces. They are forces that are aligned with the police. They are forces that are aligned with the military, with the largest corporations within this country. Um, they all tend to pass through the liberal party or the conservative party. And for some reason, the NDP thinks that it can be a player in that game. And there was no indication that 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 that, that, that Jagmeet in his speech, it, you know, signaling where the party is at in general, uh, that 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 anybody is looking for doing anything differently, which is just such a fatality right now. Like it is just like John Horgan is not managing this pandemic any better than any of the other provincial mm-hmm. leaders. And you can use any measure to look at that. I mean, you know, people didn't die as quickly in, in Vancouver as they died in Montreal. Okay, that might be one measure, but, you know, we can make a lot of arguments about how that's not even necessarily the way that you can compare these things. But the the break with the status quo is the most important thing that, that progressives should be looking for right now. And this convention was nothing but a celebration and exaltation of the status quo with maybe a couple of minor reforms to make life a little bit better for some people. Well, that's an entirely depressing way to enter the second topic that we're talking about tonight, which is, <laughs> which is, which is uh, Pandemic Wave 3. It's like, you know, the season three of a television show that just, you know, it just keeps getting worse and worse. It's, <laughs> I, nobody wants to watch this anymore. <laughs> we need this to be over. Um, let me tell you about a weird experience I had. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like it's also necessary for me to clarify something that I wrote on Twitter that I, I want to make sure people don't take the wrong way. So I had my first menstruation post uh, first vaccine. Mm-hmm. And Nora, it, it was terrible. <laughs> I've never experienced such such oh. horridness uh, since probably like my first couple periods ever. And yeah, wow. and I'm I'm pretty regular. Uh, I have a, a really uh, like super light situation. Um, but this was this took me out for days. Like I was so sleepy. I would take like three naps a day. It was heavier than I have ever experienced and far longer than a normal menstruation. And I didn't think anything of that until a friend of mine sent me said, oh, I I know that you got your vaccine already. Um, There's this study happening about uh, um, menstruation and people who menstruate and how uh, the, uh, the, the vaccine might might impact menstruation. So I'm just going to send this info to you in case you're interested in being part of the study. And I was like, huh, you know, now that you mentioned that, uh, I'm having this really weird experience right now. And then she told me, well, yes, there's like anecdotal um, uh, uh, stories all over of people talking about um, their experience in their first menstruation after after, uh, getting the vaccine. And sent me a Washington Post article about it. And so anyway, I posted this Washington Post article just saying it would be great to find out more information about uh, what's going on because, oh, my God. And then I got some responses of people being like, yeah, don't take the vaccine. And I just want to be very clear (laughs) that that is that is not (laughs) what I meant by that. Like, 
you should still get vaccinated. Uh, but what is important there that's being pointed out is the way that certain types of bodies and certain types of effects should have been communicated. Like if there was, if there was some sort of effect that could potentially happen, should have been thought of, should have been investigated, should be communicated to people so that they know what's going on with their bodies. And um, this is something that, of course, has been a problem with uh, women's health uh, for from since time. And so uh, <laughs> anyway, that's my that is that's my weird post-vaccination experience. And uh, they say that it's even worse after the second dose. So I'll let you know how that goes. Remind us which uh, vaccine you had, because I imagine it's probably only the case for the similar kinds of No, vaccines. apparently all three vaccines. This is happening with all three vaccines. Uh, uh, there have been reports. Oh. So all three, sorry, I, there's more than three vaccines. So I should specify this is happening with Pfizer, Moderna, uh, and uh, Johnson and Johnson, uh, AstraZeneca was not part of the article that I read uh, about this. And uh, so I had Moderna. So I don't know. Wow. Well, I mean, I feel like that could be breaking news in Canada because I have, you know, you, you know how much I'm reading on this. And that's the first I have heard it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure if you look it up, you'll find all sorts of stuff. There's, uh, it's pretty, it seems to be getting more well documented every day. So just a, wow. a little point. Okay. Wow. But anyway, wave three Canada, what is going on? I mean, what I find uh, like encouraging is that it seems like vaccinations are up. Yes. You know, it seems like more and more people are getting vaccinated. Is my sense there correct? Numbers? Yes. Yeah. Numbers are, are, are going um, up. There is a steady supply. I mean, the supply comes in every month or so and then gets dispatched to all the provinces. And as much as every province has had major problems with how they've rolled out the vaccines, uh, it does seem to be that they are all finally finding their stride and are actually able to increase vaccine distribution from um, even from high watermarks of like yesterday, today kind of thing. So it, that, that is good news. Great news. What's the bad news? <laughs> I'm just like waiting for you. Yeah, that might be where the good news <laughs> waiting <end. laughs> for you to to drop the other foot. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, I, I wrote this on Twitter, and I've been thinking about a, it a lot. That the the pandemic that we have right now seems to be the pandemic that we were warned about in mm. in March 2020. That this is the pandemic that we were told to, you know, you have to isolate, you have to make sure that you don't go anywhere if you can avoid it. You know, the, like construction sites in Quebec were closed, for example, is the only time that that happened within the pandemic. Um, other, you know, large congregate workplaces stayed open. Um, but there was like supports, right? We're paying you to stay home with the CERB if you're laid off. We're going to pay your employer. That's that wage uh, wage subsidy, which, of course, is the, the largest <laughs> transfer of private money to the public money to the private sector in uh, oh, ever. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that we are actually organizing in this way, clearing ICUs, clearing um, hospital beds, making sure that everything was in place for this wave. Right. And then the first wave was what it was. It, it ravaged residential care because of how vulnerable. Uh, our system was because our system is a system that doesn't care about the people that lives in it. It's a system that profits off of the people that live in it. 
And so we go through the first wave. There's no changes made to, to, to try and stop the second wave, uh, including within residential care. And so the second wave is even worse. The second wave is even worse in every part of this country with the exception of Nova Scotia. And it is worse by far in places like Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Uh, it's worse by by a lot in British Columbia. And it's, it's worse by a little tiny bit <laughs> in Quebec. It's way worse than in Ontario. And so it's like, okay, wow, governments didn't do anything then again. So the third wave comes, and what's different now? Well, finally, we've got the vaccine protecting people who are above a certain age, and that age depends on, I mean, where you are. That age has been getting lower and lower, which is really great. And so the the infections within long-term care and within retirement residences have, have just walked off a cliff. Like, they they just were stopped dead in their tracks. And the few outbreaks that have happened uh, since the vaccination campaign has happened, uh, unfortunately, can often, uh, like, they're isolated amongst staff people who didn't get vaccinated. And so um, the, the the outbreaks tend to be, like, hitting staff actually a lot harder, which, again, goes back to the fact that these are unsafe workplaces with management that don't give a rat's ass about the people who work there. Like, keep your eye on the, on the prize on what's going on here. Um, but because by and large, uh, you know, the 80 plus, 70 plus, um, getting getting closer to 65 plus uh, age categories have been vaccinated, majoritally, um, the third wave is is hitting who? It's just it's just walloping everybody else. And it's walloping people who uh, are being forced to work. And like to the point where, you know, like all of these essential like businesses or whatever, like, you know, in, in the city of Toronto, there was a, a huge outbreak at like a neon light factory, the essential service of a neon light factory or the essential service of a risk management company or the essential service of fucking banks where you can actually do all this stuff at, at home. Um, and so it's just very clear that at, at month 13, Literally, not a single government has figured out how to fucking contain this virus, despite the fact that we've known how to contain it for a year. Yeah, it's uh, this this latest wave is uh, really painful to see the news because, you know, there's these new lockdowns are happening. There is no support. CERB is over. Right. People are uh, desperate. Evictions seem to still be happening. Um, and the obvious we know we know how to how to contain this like we i feel like medical professionals have been telling us for so long and then these very bizarre rules keep being made that seem to have no logic uh in in actually keeping people safe but to really just uh like make sure that certain certain companies maintain their corporate advantage <laughs> just that's what it seems to be. And it's just more and more frustrating and just so unacceptable to see how little those in power give, uh, you know, care about a human life and how little they care about the, the, the people who are most exploited to make this economy what it is to, to benefit those who are the wealthiest among us. And I, you know, there's been moments in this year where I've just kind of like looked back and at the news and just felt like a sense of just horror because, you know, it's just all the things that we've known for years and have talked about for years, but to see it so starkly 
in in these policies like very simple policies could be put in in place to to help protect people you know we've talked about them before reporting policies sick days the one that everyone's been talking about like very simple things and they'd rather watch people die or contract um a very long-term illness that is still not understood or take their chances with getting sick for the short term. That's what they'd rather. And it's just, it's, it's horrifying. It is, it's so horrifying. Like I don't have another way of putting it. I don't, uh, I'm, you know, it almost leaves me speechless because I just, can't imagine being in the position to make a decision around this and looking the other way. The feedback that we've gotten from last week's episode, where we really talked about this in a, in a deep dive, um, has been very important, I think, for me to see, to see how many people are understanding now that <laughs> that the Canada that we apparently live in is not the Canada that we live in. And I, th- I think that that's really, really critical that we absolutely have to shed any notion that we have of, of these politicians operating in the best interest of anybody other than, than profits, that democracy is a fucking sham in this country, that the, the, the political spectrum is so narrow that it's like dancing between the far right and the center right, <laughs> that, that media plays a vicious policing role, a vicious um, – uh, like they, they in, ensure that the, the narrowness with which they cover these issues like do not call into question the fundamentals of the problem at hand. At the same time, media is shrinking. And so you know even if there are a couple of – and there are, of course, a couple of very good critical journalists out there like those those voices are few and far between and like <laughs> like it's just so pathetic like like we're not we're not a real country we're like we're 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 like a fucking bunch of frat boys met in 1920 and they've been governing us ever since oh my <laughs> like God. It's, it's that you know and I, like even like the death of Prince Philip this past week, I think is a really good example of that. Like literally not a single fucking person in this country who has no power, like just average people gives a rat's ass about the fucking husband of the queen. And the and the media and politicians responded as if this guy is fucking anybody. Like he's, he's not, he's not fucking. Actually, I did find out that Prince Philip is a direct descendant on both of his parents' sides because of course the, his parents were cousins of the Romanov family, the, 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 royal, the royal family of Russia who of course all got killed. <laughs> but not all of them because Prince Philip died of natural causes. But you know, the, like the, we- I literally couldn't care less about any of what you just said in the last five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> but this is, this is like the, the way that, that we are distracted. This is the way that Canadian identity is policed. And like, you know, when, when folks in Malton are getting arrested because they are protesting the fact that another, another person killed by police, Jad Chowdhury, his, mm-hmm. uh, the, the report from the SIU comes out, oh, no, no charges can be laid. And oh, by the way, the cops who were present, like not all of them cooperated with this investigation. But, you know, that's normal because we just give them a fucking choice. Like this, this is the country that we live in. And... Uh, we have to get serious, I think. We have to get very serious about how we are going to challenge all of these power structures in a way that actually starts to make them afraid of average people. Well, more afraid of average people. They are afraid of average people, but they're very protected from average people. 
Yeah. Gosh, I don't really know how to close this. I've just been, uh, you know, I've just been thinking about the arrests yesterday of the folks who were uh, uh, protesting the the SIU determining that there was no uh, wrongdoing by police in Ifaz Chaudhry's death. I've been thinking a lot about Clive Mensa, uh, who the SIU also determined that nothing was wrong with um, with police officers tasing a man 12 times after he was already lying prone on the ground in his own backyard. And the police had just, just decided that he wasn't in his backyard, like that it was somebody else's place. And anyway, you know, and it just feels almost like a repeat of last summer. That's what it feels like where we're at, but like an even more ridiculous version. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want it. Um, And it makes me very angry and sad. But at the same time, uh, I I will say, to try to end this on a more hopeful note, that I'm seeing people, uh, especially in the the folks who are responding to us online where where I am seeing it, I'm seeing people trying, you know, people who who are mentioning to us that they have never done any organizing before, but that they've decided that they're going to try to do something and that they've decided to try to put together a petition or they've called some sort of community meeting um, of some sort. And that that is the best sort of thing that we can do, like getting people together to just try, you know. Um, the, the message of last week's episode, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, getting over the, the blockage that tells us that we can't do anything. Um, it's so important and it came up this week for me several times in talking to, uh, people who w- just happened to be considering things that they didn't feel, um, that they were ready to, to take the leap on. And I just was like, ah, oh, this is one of those moments in life where something that you've talked about is just like related to everything else that's coming your way. And it, it's just so important. And I'm, I'm so heartened to see people responding to that by taking act, taking actions in their own local context. And so, um, friends, let's continue to do that in the face of this third wave and in the face of more um, intransigence from the people who should be doing better. We know that we have one another. And that's the only thing that's really going to get us through this is uh, communities coming together and uh, creating what we need for ourselves. (laughs) 